0: Chapter Six of David Copperfield, as condensed by the author for his dramatic readings in America, by Charles Dickens. This recording is in the public domain. Your reader, Michael Armenta, Chapter Six. I heard a footstep on the stairs one day. I knew it to be Mr. Peggotty's. It came nearer, nearer. "'Rushed into the room. "'Master Davy! I found her! "'I thank my Heavenly Father for having guided me in his own ways to my darling.' "'You have made up your mind as to the future, good friend?' "'Yes, Master Davy. There's mighty countries far from here. "'Our future life lays over the sea.' "'As he gave me both his hands,' hurrying to return to the one charge of his noble existence, I thought of Ham, and who would break the intelligence to him. Mr. Peggotty thought of everything. He had already written to the poor fellow, and had the letter in the pocket of his rough coat, ready for the post. I asked him for it, and said I would go down to Yarmouth and talk to Ham myself before I gave it to him, and prepare him for its contents.' He thanked me very earnestly, and we parted with the understanding that I would go down by the mail that same night. In the evening I started. "'Don't you think that—' I asked the coachman in the first stage out of London—'a very remarkable sky? I don't remember to have ever seen one like it.' "'Nor I. That's wind, sir.' there'll be mischief done at sea before long it was a murky confusion of flying clouds tossed up into the most remarkable heaps through which the wild moon seemed to plunge headlong as if in a dread disturbance of the laws of nature she had lost her way There had been a wind all day, and it was rising then, with an extraordinary great sound. In another hour it had much increased, and the sky was more overcast, and it blew hard. But as the night advanced, it came on to blow harder and harder. Many times in the dark part of the night—it was then late in September— we were in serious apprehension that the coach would be blown over and when the day broke the wind blew harder and still harder i had been in yarmouth when the seamen said it blew great guns but i had never known the like of this or anything approaching to it as we struggled on nearer and nearer to the sea from which this mighty wind was blowing dead on shore its force became more and more terrific when we came within sight of the sea the waves on the horizon seemed at intervals above the rolling abyss were like glimpses of another shore with towers and buildings when at last we got into the town the people came out to their doors making a wonder of the mail that had come through such a storm the tremendous sea itself when i could find pause to look at it in the agitation of the blinding winds the flying stones and sand and the awful noise confounded me as the high watery walls came rolling in and tumbled into surf i seemed to see a rending and upheaval of all nature not finding Ham among the people whom this memorable wind, for it is still remembered down there as the greatest ever known to blow upon that coast, had brought together on the beach. I had made my way to his house. I learned that he had gone on a job of a shipwright's work some miles away, but that he would be back to-morrow morning, in good time. So I went back to the inn and when I had washed and dressed and tried to sleep, but in vain, it was late in the afternoon. I had not sat five minutes by the coffee-room fire, when the waiter, coming to stir it, told me that two colliers had gone down, with all hands, a few miles off, and that some other ships had been seen labouring hard in the roads and trying IN GREAT DISTRESS, TO KEEP OFF-SHORE. MERCY ON THEM, AND ALL POOR SAILORS, SAID HE, IF WE HAD ANOTHER NIGHT LIKE THE LAST. I COULD NOT EAT. I COULD NOT SIT STILL. I COULD NOT CONTINUE, steadfast TO ANYTHING. MY DINNER WENT AWAY ALMOST UNTASTED, AND I TRIED TO REFRESH MYSELF WITH A GLASS OR TWO OF WINE. IN VAIN i walked to and fro tried to read an old gazetteer listened to the awful noises looked at faces scenes and figures in the fire at length the ticking of the undisturbed clock on the wall tormented me to that degree that i resolved to go to bed for hours i lay in bed listening to the wind and water imagining now that i heard shrieks out at sea now that i distinctly heard the firing of signal guns now the fall of houses in the town at length my restlessness attained to such a pitch that i hurried on my clothes and went downstairs in the large kitchen all the inn servants and some other watchers were clustered together one man asked me when i went in among them Whether I thought the souls of the colliers crews who had gone down were out in the storm. I remained with these people, I dare say, two hours. Once I opened the yard gate and looked into the empty street. The sand, the seaweed, and all the flakes of foam were driving by, and I was obliged to call for assistance before I could shut the gate again and make it fast against the wind. There was a dark gloom in my lonely chamber, when I, at length, returned to it. But I was tired now, and, getting into bed again, fell into the depths of sleep until broad day, when I was aroused at eight or nine o'clock by someone knocking and calling at my door. "'What's the matter?' "'A wreck, close by.' "'What wreck?' a schooner from spain or portugal laden with fruit and wine make haste sir if you want to see her it's thought down on the beach she'll go to pieces every moment i wrapped myself in my clothes as quickly as i could and ran into the street where numbers of people were before me all running in one direction to the beach i ran the same way outstripping stripping a good many and soon came facing the wild sea. Every appearance it had before presented bore the expression of being swelled, and the height to which the breakers rose and bore one another down, and rolled in, in interminable hosts, was most appalling. In the difficulty of hearing anything but wind and waves, and in the crowd and the unspeakable confusion, In my first breathless efforts to stand against the weather, I was so confused that I looked out to sea for the wreck, and saw nothing but the foaming heads of the great waves. A boatman laid a hand upon my arm and pointed. Then I saw it, close in upon us, one mast was broken short off six or eight feet from the deck and lay over the side entangled in a maze of sail and rigging and all that ruin as the ship rolled and beat which she did with a violence quite inconceivable beat the side as if it would stave it in some efforts were being made to cut this portion of the wreck away for as the ship which was broadside on turned towards us in her rolling. I plainly descried her people at work with axes, especially one active figure with long curling hair. But a great cry, audible even above the wind and water, rose from the shore. The sea, sweeping over the wreck, made a clean breach, and carried men, spars, casks, planks, bulwarks, heaps of such toys, into the boiling surge. The second mast was yet standing, with the rags of a sail and the wild confusion of broken cordage flapping to and fro. The ship had struck once, the same boatman said, and then lifted in and struck again. I understood him to add that she was parting amidships, as he spoke there was another great cry of pity from the beach four men arose with the wreck out of the deep clinging to the rigging of the remaining mast uppermost the active figure with the curling hair there was a bell on board and as the ship rolled and dashed this bell rang and its sound the knell of those unhappy men was borne towards us on the wind again we lost her and again she rose two of the four men were gone i noticed that some new sensation moved the people on the beach and i saw them part and ham come breaking through them to the front instantly i ran to him for i divined that he meant to wade off with the rope i held him back with both arms and implored the men not to listen to him, not to let him stir from that sand. Another cry rose, and we saw the cruel sail, with blow on blow, beat off the lower of the two men, and fly up in triumph round the active figure, left alone upon the mast. Against such a sight, and against such determination as that of the calmly desperate man, who was already accustomed to lead half the people present? I might as hopefully have entreated the wind. I was swept away to some distance, but the people around me made me stay, urging, as I confusedly perceived, that he was a bent on going, with help or without, and that I should endanger the precautions for his safety by troubling those with whom they rested. I saw a hurry on the beach and men running with ropes and penetrating into a circle of figures that hid him then i saw him standing alone in a seaman's frock and trousers a rope in his hand another round his body and several of the best men holding to the latter the wreck was breaking up i saw that she was parting in the middle and that the life of the solitary man upon the mast hung by a thread He had a singular red cap on, not like a sailor's cap, but of a finer color, and as the few planks between him and destruction rolled and bulged, and as his death knell rung. He was seen by all of us to wave this cap. I saw him do it now, and thought I was going distracted when his action brought the old remembrance to my mind of a once dear friend thee once dear friend steer forth ham watched the sea until there was a great retiring wave when he dashed in after it and in a moment was buffeting with the water rising with the hills falling with the valleys lost beneath the foam borne on towards the ship at length he neared the wreck he was so near that with one more of his vigorous strokes he would be clinging to it, when a high green vast hillside of water moving on shoreward from beyond the ship, he seemed to leap up into it with a mighty bound, and the ship was gone. They drew him to my very feet, insensible, dead. He was carried to the nearest house, and every means of restoration was tried. But he had been beaten to death by the great wave, and his generous heart was stilled for ever. As I sat beside the bed, when hope was abandoned and all was done, a fisherman who had known me when Emily and I were children, and ever since, whispered my name at the door. "'Sir!' Will you come over yonder? The old remembrance that had been recalled to me was in his look, and I asked him, Has a body come ashore? Yes. Do I know it? He answered nothing, but he led me to the shore, and on that part of it, where she and I had looked for shells, two children... On that part of it where some lighter fragments of the old boat blown down last night had been scattered by the wind, among the ruins of the home he had wronged, I saw him lying with his head upon his arm as I had often seen him lie at school. End of chapter six. End of david copperfield as condensed by the author for his dramatic readings in America.